Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, PPE Solutions to Get Back to Work, sponsored by MSA Safety. This is Barry Botino, an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I'll be the moderator for today's presentation. First, we'd like to thank you all for joining us. And on behalf of the National Safety Council, whose employees are currently working away from the office, we hope that you, your loved ones, and all the people in your lives are safe and healthy wherever they are. We'll start today's presentation in a couple of minutes, but first I have a few housekeeping items to share. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a question and answer session with our speakers. To ask a question at any time, click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the Send button. Please feel free to ask your question at any point during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but we might not get to every question today. The good news is that any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our speakers today. After this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past safety and health webcasts, please go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events, or you'll also receive a link to this webcast in a post-event email. With that, let's introduce our two speakers today. With us today is Dennis Capizzi, who serves as MSA Safety's Industrial Segment Marketing Manager. Dennis has more than 12 years of experience in the personal protective equipment industry, and he has authored or co-authored numerous articles on workplace dangers and the best practices for mitigating those dangers. Also joining us is Ann Osborne, who is MSA Safety's Construction Segment Marketing Manager. Ann joined MSA in 2015 and has nearly a decade of experience in the industry. She's worked in the market as a respiratory and fall protection product line manager. Again, we thank you all for tuning in to today's presentation. And Dennis, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Barry. I'd like to start today by saying thank you. Thank you for your time. I realize how busy your schedules are and I appreciate you taking the time out to join us today. We're gonna to cover some topics as you can see here on our agenda, uh, continuous training. And as the country gets back to work, we wanted to provide a quick overview on some of the risks you and your team may be facing and how to might, you might mitigate some of those dangers. We'll also go over hazard assessments and hierarchy of controls, providing examples of each, including PPE recommendations. Then we'll provide cleaning and de decontamination requirements. Finally, we'll take a look at fall protection. As it may have been some time since you or your team has last donned this equipment, we wanted to walk through the inspection procedure so that you can be confident the equipment will operate as designed. Wrapping up this presentation will provide you with some resources you can use to further your knowledge and get the latest information on the topic. Then we'll leave about 10 to 15 minutes for questions and answers. I also wanted to note here 
that new information concerning this topic is being released almost daily. We highly recommend you continue your education to increase your awareness and preparedness to help protect you and your team against all of the dangers being faced. Workers must be trained to their employer's site-specific policies and procedures. Training must include practice, putting on and taking off the PPE, respirators, and decontamination procedures until competency and confidence can be demonstrated. So the, the numbers of dangers continue to grow in the industry, right? As jobs change or new jobs are created from sparks and heat to noise, physical stress, flying debris, the potential of being struck by a moving object, entrapment, respiratory dangers, electrical hazards, confined space, and now COVID. This is a danger many of us were not really ready for, and the impact has been significant. As we get back to work, we need to exercise caution and work to mitigate or eliminate risks. That's what we're gonna go over today. A, a vital component of any effective safety and health program is the proactive and ongoing process of identifying and assessing the hazards that might be present with each application. Before you can begin the work of mitigating risks or eliminating a danger, hazard assessment must be conducted. Per OSHA, risk is the product of hazard and exposure. Thus, risk can be reduced by controlling or eliminating the hazard or by reducing workers' exposure to that hazard. An assessment of risk helps the employers understand hazards in the context their own workplace and prioritize hazards for permanent control. So once you've assessed your hazards, now you can move on to elimination or mitigation. Using the hierarchy of controls you see here, again, there are a number of dangers within each work environment. And you want to understand those dangers and work to eliminate each risk. Control measures may include a combination of all of the above, everything you see here. As we're taught, we'll work from the top down. Specific examples of each of these controls as they relate to your back to work initiative can be found on the CDC and or OSHA sites. I would recommend that you visit these sites regularly as information changes often. So starting with elimination and substitution. Elimination and substitution, while most effective at reducing hazards, also tend to be the most difficult to implement in an existing process. If the process is still at the design or development stage, elimination and substitution of hazards may be inexpensive and simple to implement, but for an existing process, major changes in equipment and procedures may be required to eliminate or substitute for that hazard. Engineering controls. These are designed to remove the hazard at the source before it ever comes in contact with the worker. A well-designed engineer control can be highly effective in protecting workers and will typically be independent of the worker's interaction to provide this high level of protection. 
And then finally, we come to administrative controls and PPE. These are frequently used with existing processes or hazards are not particularly well controlled. Now, should you find that PPE be required, again, per OSHA 1910.132, the employer shall assess the workplace to determine if hazards are present or are likely to be present, which necessitate the use for personal protective equipment. If such hazards are present or are likely to be present, the employer shall select and have each affected employee use the types of PPE that will protect the affected employee from the hazards identified in the hazard assessment. They'll need to communicate that selection decision to each affected employee and select PPE that properly fits each affected employee. So once you've completed your hazard assessment, work through the hierarchy of controls and have found that you will require PPE, again, we recommend that you follow OSHA and CDC guidance. Today, we'll be focusing on face, eye, and respiratory protection. Based on your hazard assessment, the PPE you require may go beyond what we covered today. I must note, when workers need PPE, employers must comply with OSHA standards for PPE for their specific field. Construction, for example, is 29 CFR 1926 subpart E. There are specific standards for most fields and can be found on the OSHA website, which we'll provide a link to here later. I would also like to note that employers must establish a policy for what PPE is to be used by their employees for various jobs and to instruct their workers on the proper care and use of that PPE. For example, if it has been decided that face shields are required, the shield should wrap around the face of the wares and extend to below the chin. There should be no exposed gap between the forehead and the shield's headpiece. When selecting face piece, or excuse me, when selecting face protection, there are a number of options to choose from that meet OSHA and or CDC guidelines. Things to take into consideration, how will they be worn? An elastic band, headgear, or a hard hat with a frame. Now disposable face shields should only be worn for the single use, while reusable face shields should be cleaned and disinfected after each use per the manufacturer's instructions and guidance. Depending on your environment, the shield you select may vary. Clear versus tinted, anti-fog, anti-scratch. If you're going in and out of cold storage, for instance, or uh, you're working with abrasives. Another attribute to take into consideration is the size of the shield and whether a nitrometer is required for chin protection. If it's been found that eye protection is required, again, you'll wanna follow OSHA and CDC guidelines when making that selection. But for example, the CDC has recommended goggles with indirect venting to reduce the potential of droplets and or aerosols making their way through the vents and contacting the eyes. So 
If a visor selection is going to be com a component of your PPE solution, I wanted to take a moment to review some of the markings you may see on the visor itself. Many of these are stamped into the left or right side of the shield. Speaking to the MSAB guard visors, many meet performance criteria other than those addressed in the ANSI ISEA Z87.1 standard. There are, for example, performance criteria in the EN166 standard that are not covered in the ANSI standard, including uh, resistance to high-speed particles at extreme temperatures, which range from negative 23F to 131F. Molten metal and hot solids, enhanced reflective, or excuse me, enhanced reflectance, and then anti-fog and anti-scratch performance. These markings will help you to determine which shield will best meet the requirements outlined in your hazard assessment and safety programs. So to give you an example, I've provided here uh, some markings that you might see. On the left side, uh, I've highlighted in yellow and blue a, a couple lines that you might want to pay attention to. Uh, for example, the first marking line in yellow shows that the visor is impact rated to ANSI ISEA Z87.1, that Z87 plus, and offers maximum UV filter, the U6 marking, as indicated under the standard. Now moving down to the blue line, this is where those EN standards come in, the EN166. In this example, the visor offers a good color recognition UV filter of 2C. Luminescence, luminous transmittance of greater than 74.4%, that's at 1.2. It's made by MSA, there's our, uh, our company name. And then it offers the best optical quality available of one and a medium impact resistance of B. Now I've provided a, a chart on the right-hand side as well. And this will give you a, a quick look at all of the other markings you might want to take into consideration when you're making your visor selection. To understand which visors meet which portions of the standard, there are often selection guides that can, you can refer to. Uh, and you can see that here. For example, if you need, or and the way you would use this, this guide or this tool, when you go in to select your visor, you would understand which additional PPE might be required, such as earmuffs. You would know if chin protection was required, impact protection, if you wanted anti-scratch or anti-fog, UV protection. So you would use this, this tool and go through each column uh, and select which portions are uh, needed for your safety program. Then you would find a product that best meets your needs. So if I were, say, working in a, uh, a food and, uh, environment and I needed to go in and out of re refrigerated uh, coolers and I needed earmuffs, I would come down here and I would most likely pick something with uh, earmuffs fit and has anti-fog, anti-scratch. So that would probably be this clear one here. Uh, if I needed chin protection, chin protection, that's where the nitrometer uh, would come into place as well. So there's a lot of these tools available uh, for you. This is just a small example of some of the tools that are available for your reference. Please feel free to visit our website 
or contact our customer service department to have any additional questions you might have. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Ann Osborne, who will be covering respiratory protection, cleaning procedures, and fall protection inspection criteria. Ann? Thanks, Dennis. Okay, so just moving on and continuing, continuing the discussion around product. Um, if your company has decided that NIOSH approved respirators are required or traditionally used on your job sites, just remember you will still need to use these in accordance with OSHA's 29 CFR 1910.134. So this includes medical examinations for those intending to use respirators, fit testing protocols, training, all of the elements of a respiratory program should be implemented in accordance with OSHA. Surgical masks, which we also have pictured here on this slide, uh, are not classified as respirators and, and they offer a different type of protection for workers compared to fitted respirators, like the NIOSH N95 seen here, or also uh, the NIOSH uh, elastomeric uh, reusable respirator on the far right there. So it's really important to know the difference between the respirator classes and what may or may not be required from OSHA. We do have guides on OSHA's respiratory standard. Um, what is included um, in that all of the elements of a sound respiratory protection program. Uh, and this guide can be obtained from our website, um, you know, free of charge or by calling our customer service team at any time. So moving into cleaning and disinfection. So for cleaning and disinfection of PPE, you will always want to refer to the PPE manufacturer's instructions for guidance here. For COVID-19 disinfection specifically, uh, the CDC recommends the use of cleaning products with EPA-approved emerging viral pathogen claims. So these options can be found on the EPA or CDC website at any time. However, it is important that you follow your PPE manufacturer's recommendations because it's critical you don't use something that could damage the integrity of the product. You will also want to note if there are any specific rinsing instructions from the PPE manufacturer after disinfection, again, to ensure no harm comes to the product. And then, you know, finally also, it is important to follow the cleaning product manufacturer's instructions, including the contact time required to achieve disinfection. So MSA Safety uh, has included COVID-19 clean, cleaning guidance documents on our COVID resource page um, that are very specific to our products. Um, you can find uh, cleaning guidance, uh, one for each of our core products, so a cleaning guidance for respiratory protection, head protection, uh, portable gas detection, and also fall protection. You can find these um, on our resource page to help you uh, with what to use uh, when and if disinfection questions should arise. And then we said we were gonna talk about fall protection as well. Um, so, you know, we'd like to close with talking a little bit about fall protection product and product inspections. And it is really critical to remember that um, fall protection, these products must be inspected before use 
and then at least annually by a competent person. So as um, our industry returns to work, uh, it's important to ensure and remind everyone of pre-use inspection procedures um, because it's possible some time has gone by since the product was last used. Also, if you are using any of the disinfecting procedures that we just talked about, you know, regular inspection of the product is, is really going to be critical. And this can go for any PPE, not just fall protection. Anecdotally, I can tell you that we continue to see an increase um, in requests for more competent person fall protection inspection training. Um, you know, as there might be shifts in personnel um, on the job site who used to do inspections, and they may be moving some of that around. So we are seeing that increase um, in requests for you know, how to do inspections, um, specifically on fall protection. So as a quick review, uh, specifically let's talk harnesses. Your pre-use inspection requires you to check that harness labels are present and legible, webbing is intact with no cuts, frays, or abrasion, and that's including load indicators, which are the webbing folds on the back of a harness. Uh, you're also checking that there are no broken stitch patterns. Uh, and all of the hardware should be checked for functionality, um, as well as for damage, like any dents, pitting, or corrosion. Um, some of these could be indicators that that product has been seen in a fall event. Um, many manufacturers can provide uh, inspection checklists in forms like the one you see here on this slide um, that can help you in walking through your equipment and determining whether or not it should be used or should be removed from service. So there are uh, a lot of resources that can be used for inspection. Um, just make sure you check with your uh, manufacturer to see what's out there uh, to help you. Okay, and then finally, you know, we have included um, a solid list of resources um, that you can access, um, you know, whether it's the CDC or OSHA, things that we mentioned today, we have included those here, um, again, to further educate yourselves as a lot of these updates are changing regularly. You know, and with that, I will turn it over to Barry to see what um, our Q&A looks like. Thank you, Anne, and thank you, Dennis, for sharing your, your insights and your expertise today. We're going to give Anne and Dennis just a minute to get a drink of water before we start our Q&A. But before we start, I want to let everyone know about an evaluation survey we're asking you to complete today. The survey will be open in a different screen after this webinar, and your input is important to us because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. Take a few minutes to share your uh, feedback through our survey. And also, I'd like to take this time to thank our outstanding speakers today, Dennis Capizzi and Ann Osborne, everyone from our sponsor over at MSA Safety, and of course, all of you who joined us today. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day. Thank you all.